When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. Today's stomp is somewhere a little different. The Isle of Man, with 25 beaches, 18 national glens and 26 registered dark sky discovery sites, the highest concentration in the British Isles, this is my first time on this incredible island. 40% of the island is uninhabited. So I'm in for a pretty extraordinary off-the-beaten-track route today with my guest. It has been an incredible time here on the island. Myself, producer Charlie, and my manager Harry, of course you'll know on the Stompcast, joined me uh, in travelling to the Isle of Man. We flew over from uh, London, uh, we flew over from Gatwick. Charlie actually came over from uh, London City Airport and landed here at the airport here on the Isle of Man. For those that aren't aware of where the island is, uh, the Isle of Man is situated in the Irish Sea. If you imagine the UK, uh, it is in the middle pretty much between Northern Ireland and Lancashire on the west coast of North England. So Lancashire, you've got Morecambe Bay there as well. So it's kind of an in-between. And the actual history, um, there's a lot of like mythology around the gods uh, and the the story goes that there was a fight between the gods on in in Ireland versus <laughs> England and they were throwing rocks at each other and the rock landed in the middle uh, and that was the Isle of Man and actually dotted around the Isle of Man there are wizards which like wooden um, statues almost that uh, depict some of that kind of uh, magic sorcery type tales and stories and so on but anyway to the real world and um, we have had a fantastic time we landed here um, we immediately myself and harry went and did a trike tour um, with isle of man trike tours absolutely amazing went around isle of man circuit it's obviously very famous for its tt racing which is going to be very important for today's conversation we went round on the tour it was absolutely fantastic so so much of the island uh, we have been to uh, fantastic bakeries we've had some great food here and really enjoyed it and one of the big things that i've taken away from the visit is just how varied this island is it is 30 miles uh, in its length and 16 miles wide it's not the biggest of places but it's so varied in its nature you've got forestry you've got the coastline you've got a mountain on it it feels like you've pulled together so many environments in one place so today is going to be a fantastic episode but a great time absolutely loved it and a big thanks to the team uh, tash and the team visit uh, Isle of Man. They helped organise this whole thing. It's been fantastic. It's really, really good. Make sure you check out their Instagram because you can get lots of tips and ideas. They basically gave us a lovely list of activities to do. We'll include some of that in the show notes and of course on my Instagram as well. Check it out. Right, before um, before I kind of waffle on any further
further and actually I do do a stomp cast and I actually have a guest talking to me on it. Um, let's start introducing who this chap is. So today's stomp of course here on the Isle of Man is someone that is rather familiar with Ireland. It is uh, the TT racer, the British superbike racer Peter Hickman who holds the uh, fastest ever lap of the Isle of Man TT at 136.358 mile per hour. So that's the average uh, speed that he attained around the circuit. The uh, Isle of Man TT has been going since 1907. Uh, it started with car racing actually. Um, it was on a dirt track that was about 15 miles in length and they did around 10 laps. The bikes that initially were going around in those early years had one or two miles per hour. The ones that go around now are well over 200 brake horse and travel at speeds of over 200 miles an hour, uh, which is kind of mind boggling. And that's why they have such a high average speed. And the thing that's incredible about this race is that it's a road race. It is on roads. These are A and B roads, 37, 37 and three quarter miles of roads that they race around. It's dangerous, it's fast, it's exhilarating. And many people might wonder, why would you do it? In fact, very sadly, almost every year, someone or some people lose their lives racing here during the TT fortnight. That is the fact of the reality. And so going into this conversation, I really want to find out why do you, why do, you do it? Why would anyone race it? And why would someone like Peter Hickman, who's won 13 times here at the Isle of Man, who actually holds the record as the fastest average time, who's won so much, why does he continue to come back and race? There's lots of questions to be answered. I'm very excited to learn from this. And if you're someone that thinks, well, I've never watched the TT, I'm not interested in motorcycle racing, it's an amazing opportunity to learn about someone else's way of life and find out more. And what can we learn? What can we take away from this person? Do they have fear? Let's find out. Wonderful, Peter, welcome to uh, the Stompcast. I feel odd welcoming you to the Stompcast on Isle of Man because this is very much your home territory. <laughs> so I'm like, welcome myself to the Isle of Man, but welcome to you on the podcast. How are you? Thank you very much. No, it's good to, good to be involved. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you very much. It's brilliant to have you. And of course, you're in the, the BMW, uh, the kit, the outfit. How is the racing going this year? Yeah, so I race for FHO Racing BMW, owned by a lady called Feho. So that's unique in itself. There's not many race teams that are owned by females. Yeah. Um, Faye started the team a good few years ago. I've been riding for her since she started it. And uh, this year was pretty good. We did eight races in total. I won four out of the eight races. Uh, had oh, two second places, uh, or three second places. Yeah, three second places and a fourth or something like that. So uh, amazing, yeah, amazing. Not, not too bad. Not too shabby at all. Of course, you've got Donington uh, Park coming up this weekend. And we're really hopeful that we can get you off this island because it's a bit stormy today. We're a bit worried about the whether the planes might be cancelled later, but hopefully it's hopefully been a few cancellations. I don't want Faye on the phone to me being like, why has my rider not made it back for one of those important races on the calendar at the famous Donington Park and stuck in Isle of Man because of he's gone for a walk with you. So let's hope that doesn't transpire. Um, we're just wandering along, along here. Where, whereabouts are we right now? Where are we in the Isle of Man? Good question. We're in the middle of nowhere. No, we're just on the outskirts <laughs> of uh, Douglas. So we're heading towards a little place called Onken. Uh, and relaxed. And as I was saying in the introduction, we, so me and the team, we arrived uh, yesterday and we've had a brilliant time. We've been in Douglas, we've been to uh, Noah's breakfast, is that right, Harry? No, it's 
Steakhouse. Noah's Bakehouse, which was absolutely amazing. I really recommend going having. Uh, have you had their cream cheese and no, bacon bagel? No, I actually bagel? haven't been there. I, no. un unbelievable. I'd go there. We went to Coast as well in Douglas, which is a lovely restaurant last night. Also went for a, a run this morning along the coast. It is such a beautiful and calm place. And the odd thing for me thinking about it is that this seems like a very relaxing, calm place. But then when you're on the back of your superbikes, driving at an average of 136 mile an hour around the TT circuit, that doesn't sound particularly relaxing. So <laughs> how does the adrenaline compare on this visit with your activities with me versus a TT fortnight? Well, I guess that all depends on the type of person that you are, isn't it? We all see things very differently. And from the outside, TT in particular looks absolutely ridiculous to a lot of people, especially people that don't understand it or don't already ride bikes. Mm -hmm. For myself, I'm very much kind of the opposite. Don't get me wrong, it's a massive adrenaline rush. It's a real big adrenaline high, even before it, during it, after it. But actually when I'm on the bike, I'm super calm. I'm actually, I'm pretty much like this. And I, I am even before the race or before a practice. Like this is me 24 seven. Yeah. Doesn't matter what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. So when you're going along on the bike at, I mean, so you hit speeds of 200, just over 200 mile an hour in certain yeah. parts, don't you? It's a 37 mile circuit, so some, some of the long straights you're holding at a very high speed, aren't you? But even then, even taking into account a couple of very like first gear, inverted commas, slower <laughs> Slow. corners. Yeah, like, I use that word carefully. Um, you're, you're, you're averaging like 130, 140 miles an hour. Anyone listening would be like, how can you feel calm going at that speed but I guess yeah. in a way if you weren't calm you're probably in more danger going at that speed no? correct exactly that it's all about mindset and the TT course is super fast as you've explained already um, there's probably only four or five corners that are quite slow and when we say slow we're talking between 20 and 40 miles an hour mm -hmm. but as you've already said the average speed the current lap record which fortunately I hold yes you do 136, amazing. Amazing. 136 mile an hour average you know, 95% of the course is over 160 miles an hour. It is super, super fast. But what, what the strange thing that I always try and explain to people, and people struggle to, to get their head around that speed and how you can calculate what's actually going on. But the best way of describing it is you jump on a motorway for the first time in the day, you get up to 70 miles an hour, and it feels quite fast when you do 70 miles an hour to start yeah. with. And then after kind of 10 or 15 minutes, you find yourself creeping up to 75 or 80 without even realizing you're doing it. And that's because your brain's recalculated the speed. Stop taking in the information that's directly in front of you and start taking the information that's two, three, four, 500 meters ahead of you. Yeah. Which then means you've processed that information before you get to it. So because of that, everything feels like it slows down. Yeah, yeah. So the same thing happens with us, but we're doing 200 miles an hour. So when you slow down to do 150, it kind of feels like you've stood so still. Do, so when you come off then doing a TT week and you go and drive along or ride along on a, on a, on a normal road, are you like, am I doing five miles an hour? <laughs> does your brain actually struggle to comprehend going that slow? Yes, yes it does. So, so you have same, to watch the speedo very carefully then I'd imagine. So, so the same as when you've been doing, you've been on a motorway for half an hour and then you slow down to do 40 mile an hour, 30 mile an hour in a village and you feel like you're absolutely stood still. Yeah. It's that exact same feeling because your brain's still ahead of itself. So I do the Isle of Man TT for two weeks, racing at daft speeds, and then I go straight to Knock Hill Race Knock Circuit, Hill, which yeah. is the smallest circuit on the yeah. BSB calendar. Different speeds there. And I really struggle to actually 
not be not fast, but I keep letting go of the brake when I should still be on the brake because I feel like I'm going too slow. <laughs> oh, so I let yeah. go of the brake to speed up and then realise I'm going too fast. And steady down. Well, exactly, yeah. And, if you, and listeners, if, you're, if you can hear the sound of running water, you're correct, it is running water. We're not in the midst of a waterfall. We're walking along uh, the glen here, uh, one of the many glens here on the, on the island. And this is a very beautiful, where we are now, um, there's a really beautiful little water wheel um, that is out of action at the moment when it looks at it, it's on pause. This place is so beautiful. Do you feel when you're going along at those speeds, do you even get a moment to, to, to kind of take it in or is it very much, I'd imagine it's very much at 200 miles an hour, you're looking right in front of you the whole time, right? Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of concentration to do what we're doing here. However, you'd be really surprised. It goes back to that feeling calm and getting used to the speed and it doesn't feel like what it, what it is and you notice all sorts of different things. I mean, we, the circuit here is 37 and three quarter miles. I say circuit, it's just normal roads, as you know. But you can take in quite a bit, probably more so than what people realize. What do you notice, yeah, when you're going along? Like, what are the things, have you ever had like a, when you're driving along, you have like a thought, you're driving along, you think, oh, I need to go and get like um, some chicken tonight for dinner, or like, oh, you pop there, oh, I wonder up there, up to wandering down there. Do you have like those kind of thoughts? Sometimes, <laughs> probably not quite that far away from what we're doing. However, I have noticed people that have moved position from one lap to another, or one lap they've got a jacket on and the next lap they've taken it off, or something like that. There's been some really interesting, or I find it quite interesting, what your brain can pick up in the middle of doing that is interesting. all of that. Because when you think about fight or flight, and like you think of that adrenaline response, of course that shuts down everything within your brain and body that isn't useful for the issue at hand. But of course you're in a way, you're trying to prevent the fight or flight, aren't you? Almost when yeah. what you said at the start is because you actually need to have a very high level of like planning and processing. Absolutely. In the fight or flight, your brain actually closes down quite fundamental. So I guess, in a sense, it's probably a good thing that you can notice other things because <laughs> your brain is, is relaxed and calm. Have you, ever, have you looked back at your heart rates and things going around after race weekends? And something that we've spoken about quite a lot, and none of us, no one that I know has actually done it yet. But it was something I wanted to do this year and we didn't get around to doing it, but I was going to run a heart rate monitor just It'd be really, fascin own, yeah, be really fascinating own. to see and at what points the heart rate <laughs> yeah. spike because your heart rate's a really good indicator. Like if you think obviously, you know, across the metric of kind of, you know, you're a very fit person, like so your heart rate might sit at 40, 50 beats a minute. Which it does, yeah, mine's really low. Yeah, you know, you're, 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 you're ultra, ultra fit athlete. So that, that goes all the way to probably your heart will go up to 180, 190 if you're giving it full tilt. Yep. It'd be interesting to see like what, the variations would be like pre-race yeah, where it spikes right yeah where it spikes and where it's at its lowest and actually how that compares to your complete baseline as i suspect from what you're saying you probably wouldn't see that much difference to the heart rate as you'd expect maybe the heart rate goes quite high before you start the race do you kind of feel yeah. pumped up before you start uh, a little bit i'm not really that sort of person so i don't get nervous i don't really worry about anything and i'm talking about everything, life in general. It's not something, I'm not a person that, that is an overthinker. So I'm, I'm not really a believer necessarily in fate either. So I don't think everything's pre-planned out for us. But what, what I mean is I don't, I can't change what's about to happen. I can't change if you're about to go punch me in the face or not. You know, you'll either do it or you don't, you know, and that's, I can't alter that if that's what's gonna happen. So I don't worry about it. I'll deal with whatever I need to deal with as it happens, if it happens, or when it happens. 
Do you think you could do what you do if you were a warrior? Uh, I don't know. Because your degree, I guess, the degree of risk that you have, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I ride motorbikes as well, like, as in, but I ride them very differently <laughs> to you. But I actually, ironically, perhaps excluding things like the TT, but ride, road riding is actually really dangerous, it isn't is, it? Yeah. Like when you compare to circuits where you've got like, A, obviously the person riding the bike is a much higher level of standard of skill generally and all those things, but the safety sides of it are- And everyone's going the same way. Everyone's going the same- No same, tractors or trucks pulling out. Same direction. So in a way, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I am a warrior and I ride, but I guess, does that ever kind of creep in at all? And yeah, are there, when you look around the circuit or the paddock, do you, are there people there that are more cautious or do you think, do you think- oh, 100%, yeah. do you, I would wonder, I guess, what I try and, what I'm really interested in is like, is it a certain kind of person that's going to end up racing like this? Is it the risk taker who's calm under the pressure and those things? Can you learn to become someone like this? I think you can learn to become, I think you can learn to become whatever you want to be if that's what you really want to do. Uh, I do think it takes a certain type of person to do the sort of racing that we're doing, particularly here at the Isle of Man. I think the biggest thing that I can say along them sort of lines is, like with the risk taking, everyone sees, everything's completely subjective. You know, what, what one person sees as a massive risk, another person will see as, oh, that's quite normal, or I don't see it as a risk. Same as danger. One, one person's danger is another person's normal. So I think it's, it depends how you see things. It really does, you know. I think riding at 190 mile an hour along these roads is perfectly acceptable, not that dangerous, not that risky in my eyes. Whereas <laughs> you, so might, you might think it's absolutely <laughs> ludicrous, and a lot of people do. But then that's also comes down to knowledge as well, because if you have the knowledge about what you're doing or why you're doing it and what can or can't happen, then that will also change your perception of what that risk or danger is. I mean, I, I'm, I come from a, you know, my family are, we're all petrol heads. You know, my, my granddad used to do kart, um, was a world championship kart racing and he used to do scrambling. My dad used to work on the carts and stuff. My dad's a bike rider. I love a bike and we love our, motorbikes love our former one so so we love it i think i get it in that side of things it's just i always imagine putting myself in that position thinking how would i manage my mind in those scenarios and i wonder like you know there's obviously a huge level of skill that's involved in this racing and that's like i mean you can't do it if you're not got that level of skill and i guess a lot of that's innate but do you kind of work on the mind aspect of it because obviously if you lose control of your mind then you're not going to be able to perform so is it something because you said that you naturally are someone that's relaxed and calm yeah. do you actively work on mindfulness do you work on the mindset side of it or is it just all come naturally to you so for me personally it's a very natural process i don't have to work on myself that way at all which i think i'm very lucky in that aspect because i don't think the majority of people in the world are like that to be honest everyone that i meet or everyone that i speak to that we've spoken about this to most people really do have to work at it and even the people that are really good at it are having to work at it and be really conscious of it. A lot of my competitors I know think about things a lot and they see mind coaches and all sorts of either, there's all sorts of different ways of going about it as well, like even from a fitness point of view, like part of that fitness idea is because it's sorting the mental brain out as much as the physical, physical body, yeah. body it's actually a mental thing as well and they feel like they need to do that to be able to be mentally strong and if they didn't do that they wouldn't be mentally strong and i think that's 
that is all down to that person again and their not necessarily their beliefs but how their how their makeup how they see things I, and i've just been i don't know super lucky that i don't necessarily see it that way and i just have that natural ability to be yeah i i put, always put it down to not overthinking whatever situation i'm in Plushcare.com/slash/weightloss. And I wonder, what do you when you look at the balance of like innate, I guess, like born with versus learnt decision making or um, skills? Because you know, your your dad was a, uh, a motorcycling racer. He's a racer here on in the TT as well, I believe. Right, and obviously you've gone on to do do that as well. I mean. Do you think that's yeah, without his blessing, though? <laughs> was it without his blessing? Yeah. I was going to say, was, do, like, yeah. Do you think that was passed on to you without your knowing, or, or was it kind of like, look, mate, uh, I'd rather you not, and you were like, no, I'm doing it? Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. I mean, he pushed me, <laughs> pushed me to absolutely anything other than motorcycle racing, to be totally honest. What else did he try? What else was his suge- uh, top football, suggestions? golf, cricket. You're a big man. Rugby, I thought darts, rugby would be a good yeah, one. Rugby, rugby league, right? Yeah, Should I did a bit of rugby. Of the world? Actually, I really enjoyed rugby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he pushed me to do anything that was what, in his eyes, low risk, high wage yeah. that he could do. Because I was always very sporty anyway. Yeah. I, was, I was just a sporty person. And I guess that comes from him, whether it was just circumstance or because of how I was, you know, I grew up in the race paddock a little bit. So I didn't watch my dad race at all, but he had a really bad accident in 1979, oh, wow. uh, which finished his career. He didn't come out of hospital until 81, so that's oh, how goodness. big a crash or accident that it was. Yeah. And after that, he was he was already a mechanic anyway, but he became a development engineer, mechanics for race teams, managed riders. Um, so I grew up around all of that sort of, or this industry from a from a young age. Um, but he retired in 96, so I was a bit. In, nine years of age at that time. So, I, so he, I was still quite young when he retired. And then he really, after that point in particular, obviously we were completely out of it. We moved to the East Coast. So I was born in the Midlands, moved to the East Coast in Lincolnshire, basically to try and get away from it all. My dad was, he was just wanted to go and relax, go fishing, mm. chill out, that sort of thing. And I just, I don't know, I, I, I played for my local football team. I did cross-country running for the county even. So I did all sorts of different stuff like that. And then eventually a bike turned up one way or another. And that was it. I was hooked again. And 
That was You're it. like, look, this is yeah. where my heart is. And I actually bought my first bike without telling him at the age of 12. What did you buy? I bought a Kawasaki AR50. Oh, it was in a wheelbarrow. Awesome. So I was doing judo at the time. I think um, I actually heard the story in another yeah. interview, actually. So, yeah. I was doing, so I was doing British Championship judo, and one of the guys there, the, the, the dad, had a, an AR50 Kawasaki in a wheelbarrow full of bits. And I paid him 50 quid and swapped my radio-controlled aeroplane for it. And then hit it <laughs> and hit it around the back of the house. And did you did you rebuild it? Did you? Uh, yeah, I rebuilt it, but with my dad's help Guidance. in the end. So once he eventually found I it, I see you're clever. So what I'll do is I'll take him. Like you'll get him involved because <laughs> he'll be enthused to kind of yeah. build it. Before you know it, he's kind of been part of the blessing giving. Oh. That's kind of how it happened. I mean, obviously, it gave me a complete bollocking for a start. Yeah. When he found it hidden around the back of the shed, <laughs> the bollocking was like, oh, this actually yeah. looks like a good project. There's a bollocking that then became, uh, all right, if you're going to do it anyway, I will teach you the correct way rather than rather than the really hard way, which is actually the way he had to do it. So. Interestingly enough, his story was actually very similar. His dad wasn't really interested in him riding bikes, so he went and bought his own and, and built his own in the shed down the bottom of the garden. And that's how he started. So he decided he wanted to help me the, and do it the right way with his, his experience and all the rest of it, rather than just kind of trial and error like he had to do. It's interesting how, like, um, you know, that, th those stories I hear often where kind of parents discourage people. It's like in medicine that a doctor's parents are usually like, please don't do anything but this. But then if you really want to do it, you find you follow it anywhere. And actually from obviously very different, but you know, my dad um, rode motorbikes, but when I grew up, he stopped riding because he didn't want us to start riding. And so I only actually passed my motorbike test a couple of years ago. Right. But I've grown up on scramblers. I was lucky to, you know, being in Wales with, you know, off-roading and I love my cars. I was like, look, dad, I'm 30 now. I'm going <laughs> to, you I'm sorry about that. I'm like, it's kind of like, and I kind of in a similar way, I was like, do you know what I'm going to do? I got him a bike to get him back into it. And then as soon as I had him hooked, I was like, oh, do you know what? I might, might do it as well. And then he had no leg to stand on because he's riding a bike. And before you know, we're back into it again. And there's, there's always, it's an Reverse psychology, isn't it? Reverse psychology. <laughs> but it's an interesting thing in life. It's like that paradox, or I guess that balance of like, you only get one life, there's no reruns. Yep. And you've got to kind of live your life and live it how you want to. And I guess I often feel I'd rather look at my life and go, you know, I lived exactly how I wanted to yeah. than was afraid all the time. A hundred percent. So what's the point in living to a hundred years old, wrapped in cotton wool, having never done anything that you want to do or never traveled to where you want to go to, if that's what you want to do or experience different things you know there's people that I know that have literally I live in Lincolnshire and I've, I know people that have never left Lincolnshire and as long as they're happy with that then that's absolutely fine but for me I could never be that person I can't be tied down to one place I can't stay in one place for very long I'm the, I'm the sort of person that just needs to be out in the world experiencing new things meeting new people and trying things I've never tried before and if I'm not doing that then I feel like I'm not living yeah so going to that question, in a way, it sounds like a bit of both with like nature versus the nurture. And I guess when we were talking about like, well, what you said about other people find it, you know, they're hard to comprehend and they look at like the TT, how, why someone does that. But you, you've grown up in that, that is your normal, mm. that is your life. So yeah. in a way, if you, if we swapped round when I was, I don't work at a &E anymore, but if we swapped round and I went on the bikes and you came in to A&E, I mean, maybe you would be completely <laughs> calm, but I suspect you might be a bit more out of your comfort. Yeah. And that's a big thing as well, isn't it? It becomes, what someone else is crazy is your comfort. Absolutely that, and I, that, again, that comes down to that subjectiveness of what, how somebody sees something or why they see it in that way. 
absolutely. Well, I, as we come back, come to the end of uh, a, a part one, I guess we'll, we'll bring to a calmer mindset of approach or a calm, relaxing thought and taking what's around us. So we've been following this, this glen, following the stream, river, whatever you want to call it. It's not a river, it's a stream. All the way up from basically the mouth of where it enters the, the sea here, the Irish Sea. Uh, and it's beautiful, isn't it? It's been so nice. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. The Isle of Man in itself is just, it's just beautiful. You said it at the start, there is so much to see here. Nature is just absolutely everywhere on this island. And you know, there's not that many people here, 78,000 people, that's all there is. I think, was it 30 miles top to bottom, 16 30, miles 30 across? 30 miles up, 16 across, like yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, it's an amazing part of the world that most people actually probably have never really heard of. Yeah. I, do you know what? And the thing is about the place as well, when I actually was like, I obviously was aware of Isle of Man, I've not actually been here before. And I was kind of doing my research and learning about it. You know, I'm obviously from a biking background, well aware. I'm like, Isle of Man TT, like pops in my head. But actually there's so much more here than the TT. And you think about this place, you know, over 40% of the island is uninhabited. It's got a ridiculous number of walk places, paths, treks, hikes. Um, you know, it's an area of such beauty and you've got a really great fact actually. I've got <laughs> I a health do. fact at the end, but you've got a great fact about an, an award this place has, has, a, has a status it has achieved, isn't that right? Yes, so the Isle of Man became a UNESCO biosphere, it was awarded that um, title uh, back in 2016 and it is the only place in the entire planet that has been awarded that and that is completely 100% uh, inhabited as well. So, so yeah, it's, it literally is the only place in the world that's habited, that, or is a nation, that's, that's the word I'm needing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as, a, as a full nation, it is a UNESCO biosphere. Basically, the, the place is, is in high, very high standards of like nature, high levels of nature. The environment here is, is cared for to a very, very high uh, degree. And, you know, the, I guess diversity of the wildlife here is incredible. Uh, as well and the environments you know we, we on that track tour yesterday I kind of saw coastal areas forest areas I felt like I was in the mountains at one point actually there is a mountain there is a here. mountain yeah it's a mountain by something like 20 feet I believe it's only <laughs> just enters the, uh, the the category which is pretty cool and of course it's an independent state you know this this you know you've got the capital city of Douglas Douglas is a very cool name for capital city <laughs> it's, a, it's a city itself and actually I must say I know I said it before but you really have to go and get that uh, cream cheese uh, bagel. <laughs> Charlie, producer Charlie's laughing because you had that about two hours ago. And how good was it, Charlie? Did, I think the words you said exactly was the best bagel you've ever had. Oh, big so, claim. And, and, and I've, I, I went to New York a few weeks ago, which I was like, that's the best one I've ever had. And I genuinely think this one has got a, it's up there. It's maybe <laughs> equal to it. And, New York is the home of bagels, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. Pretty impressive indeed. Well, we'll bring you to the end of uh, part one of the Stompcast. Thank you everyone for listening um, and thank you for sharing so much as well. It's been fascinating so far. We'll see you all in part two, whether that's on a Tuesday uh, or whether you're a BTS uh, subscriber on Apple Podcasts. You'll get all three parts uh, and of course, Behind the Stomp, Dr. Alex's Diaries and all that on Sunday. See you all very soon. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rustolium.